0: What's up? Welcome back to the Barton and Bud Show. Excited to get back in here because, Bud, we've got some actual news to talk about. I know that this isn't uh, maybe the college football news that everyone's hoping to hear around this time of year. But at the very least, we've got some some big, monster recruiting news. But first, before I throw it to you, Bud, and and, and get us going on the latest, uh, make sure you are subscribing. You are rating us five stars, nothing less. And giving us a comment and a review because that's huge. That helps us a bunch. We're a young podcast. We're trying to get going. Tell a friend. Uh, but uh, but Bud, uh, you know, hopefully the the news on the recruiting trail is is going to give everybody a little bit of juice,
1: a little bit of excitement this time of year. I mean, th- th- this is like like manna from the heavens, dude. We, we got a decommit from a top five player in the nation, Corey Foreman. Uh, multiple sources reporting to Greg Biggins, uh, our our West Coast insider that uh, that Corey Foreman has decommitted from Clemson and th- there's just so many angles we can take on this. Uh, I think first and foremost, let's talk about the team he was committed to. And this is a, a five star defensive end prospect from from Cali and Clemson's been recruiting nationally recently. Uh, we don't see decommitments from from Clemson, but basically ever. It's on. It's it
0: is totally. Unprecedented the way Clemson goes about their recruiting process and the way they are able to protect and guard against decommitments. Decommitments are a standard fact of life in major college football recruiting. It's maybe not if you're an FCS program or if you're a lower level group of five that's just sort of collecting the players as you can. If you're recruiting, five stars, if you're recruiting at the highest level of college football, it's just baked in. You're just going to have to do some of these battles. You're going to have to jump through some hoops. Clemson, because of the a very strict, ideological, in some ways, approach to recruiting by Dabo Sweeney has, and, and you mentioned their first decommitment since 20, I think you said 16, uh, maybe with Cordarian Richardson. Yeah, I think I saw in, uh, in, in Greg Biggin's article a couple of days ago, because uh, he did the legwork on this, I knew it was, was 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 had been a while, but I think it was 2014 since Clemson had a non-academic related decommitment, uh, which is just unreal. And and it it's it's driven by Dabo Sweeney being very like making sure guys don't commit before they're ready. There's no such thing as pressuring guys into committing at Clemson. And then, as you alluded to, Bud, like it's a very strict policy, which really no one else has the. The clout to enforce, other than Clemson, in some ways, but there's a very strict college policy that Clemson puts in place, saying, "Look, when you commit, you are committed only to Clemson. You cannot take official visits. You cannot take unofficial visits. Uh, your recruitment is done. And if a kid's not ready to make a commitment, uh, given that policy, then they just back off it, and then they just and, and Clemson is, is gives them the space to not make that commitment. Well, there's a kid that agreed to that." And wants to take visits and he's the number two player in the country. Is he number one? Number one player in the country in the composite rankings. And Corey Foreman looks like he's back on the market.
1: Yeah, he's back on the market like like you said with Clemson's no visit policy official or, or unofficial. And and Clemson is so strict about this. Like they they ask the parents, they ask, they ask the kid, they ask the coach just to make sure everybody's on the same page. Oftentimes they want the kid to kind of go back home and sit on it, right? And and make sure it's still the right decision. Before he goes public with it, if he happens to commit when he's on campus for, for a visit for them. Uh, 2014, dude, since the last like non-academic related decommitment is is crazy. And we have seen other schools try to do this, right? Paul Johnson famously tried to do this for a while at uh, at Georgia Tech. And I, I was on the NOLCast uh, last weekend, and we were talking about this uh, with the possibility of, of Foreman and... Rem- remember Trey Jackson, who ended up being, being with the Patriots? He was a starter for a couple of years at, at guard for for, uh, for FSU there. He was committed to Georgia Tech for a while. He's like, hey, I'm going to take a visit to Florida State and Bama. And the way I recall it, this is probably a decade ago, they pulled it and they lost a, a three-year starter, all-ACC caliber kid at guard from Georgia Tech. So it, it really, you can do this if you have a, a whole lot of leverage. And I think the schools that could pull this off are probably Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, and and that's probably it among, among the really big boy recruiters. And that's a pretty good segue here to some of the schools we need to talk about who may be in the market now for Corey Foreman. But I'd even I'd even throw in this, yes, like those schools probably could enforce
0: this. But I don't think those schools would even want to enforce it. Because Agreed. if you think about it, like Alabama in in a lot of ways goes places Clemson doesn't want to go in terms of playing the game with high maintenance five-star guys you know george ohio state like ohio state maybe a little bit less so ohio state is is, is skews a little bit towards the, the clemson side of things and and i think that you see a little less turnover as a result with ohio state's class but Bama's is just out there trying like we're the freaks let's just find the freaks if we got to you know deal with a little bit of decommitment flipping on us like we'll we'll live with it we're trying to get the most talented roster possible. Whereas Clemson is going to sacrifice on the other end. They're going to sacrifice maybe not getting quite as many freaks as they otherwise could because they want to make sure everyone is a locker room fit. And obviously it's worked for both programs uh, that are recruiting at that level. But I think that that's, um, that's a really important sort of n- nuance to, to the Clemson mentality uh, in terms of what this means moving forward for Corey Foreman. Cause remember too, Corey Foreman, for those that aren't familiar with him, he is a five-star, number one player in the country, defensive end out of California, Southern California, coming across the country to go to Clemson, a program that t- traditionally has been recruiting really just in the Southeast. Just the last couple of years have really been branching out, extending that footprint out to the West Coast. DJ Uyangalele is the quarterback that committed last year. He's the five-star monster, uh, huge arm dude, and, and that that broke the seal a little bit out west. Corey Foreman jumping on board again, right behind him, was sort of this eye-opening moment in Clemson's national recruiting approach. And so, again, we all assumed, all right, Corey, Corey Foreman is then going to sign with with Clemson. Wow, what a monster get! But I think now, I mean, a this this shows a little bit of the the danger of that approach. I think that's that's point A. I think point B is this perhaps is reflective a little bit of this entire national environment that we're in where I, I think you'll see a lot of kids maybe be a little bit more tempted to sticking close to home given the uncertainty of just sort of like our, our current circumstances. Um, and then the third point is, is that a school that is looking like maybe in good shape for Corey Foreman and that he does want to visit is USC. And I don't know about you, Bud, but it just sort of, it kind of just feels like USC's gotten a lot of commits recently. It kind of feels like there's a little bit of just optimism around USC's program right now that was lacking, I'd say even like two months ago. Uh, and I don't know where that comes from other than just maybe generally looking at the roster for next year, generally looking at the recruiting, and generally thinking about the idea that, look, USC is still USC kids in California are still going to be drawn to USC. USC is always going to bounce back and the temptation is always going to be there and don't count USC out just because they had a, a, a slow recruiting cycle last year. I mean, they, they kind of look like they've they've got a little bit of, of life back in them.
1: So many great points. I, I totally agree with you. Bama kind of recruits the, uh, the Eastern part of Florida and Clemson more hangs out on, on the West coast of Florida. And, and those are, are very different areas there. If you will, as far as it comes to, uh, coming to play the game Uh, with Clemson. How many just regular long distance relationships do you think are being ended right now by the virus, right? Like you you may be willing to break quarantine to go drive somewhere to to maintain a relationship, but you're not hopping on a flight cross country. And I I think if you asked Clemson and you gave them the, the, the Barton and Bud truth serum, they would have probably told you they were worried about a California kid who wouldn't be able to get to see them. For, for months on end, out of sight, out of mind a little bit, and I think you're right that this whole lockdown is probably going to help teams, and you wrote about this, by the way, uh, teams who have a lot of a lot of talent in their backyard because it's a little bit closer, a little more close to home, and, and a little more comfort, but also when we do start back up with visits, and this is not a, a Corey Foreman specific thing, but when we do start back up with visits, the schools that are going to be in best cha- like in best position to get multiple visits within that that sort of compressed time frame are going to be the schools that you don't have to take multiple flights to go see, right? Because you're going to be able to drive there a couple times to make sure you're really comfortable there. I, I think Clemson is kind of suffering here a little bit from the out of sight, out of mind thing, and with USC, we just had Clay Helton on our 24/7 Sports social distance chat, and he's super optimistic, man, about this year. He they, they think they've got a squad. He thinks in Graham Harrell's second year as the offensive coordinator there, along with Slovis and, and all the receiver talent they have coming back, that thing's really going to hum. And and he was pretty excited about that. The defense could be better over there. They got to start with Alabama. Uh, but, yeah, they kind of took last year off in recruiting. Not officially, but what they sign? 13 kids maybe? And, and it was uh, the worst rated USC class, I think, in either of our lifetimes. Probably. Ever? Yeah, in, yeah. In,
0: in the modern recruiting era. And now they're back. It seems. It seems that they are pacing that that way. Um, I just so recently they've landed Anthony Beavers, they've landed Kalen Bullock, they've landed Samarian Gordon, Maximus Gibbs, a huge three hundred sixty pound offensive lineman. Guys, I mean th- those aren't necessary. I mean those are all good players, but not necessarily the the monster home run ripples across the college football universe. Uh, play but this guy would be and and I think that that would in some ways to me like you can really get a sense for where momentum lies in college football programs by the 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 tenor of recruiting and this is the type of sort of indicator like if you're looking for stock tips like if Corey Foreman commits to USC like uh, to me that speaks not just to hey they're going to have a good player in the future, but it speaks to a confidence in what USC is starting to build again. Uh, that that just you know might be a little bit of kindle for you to uh, to, to to sort of latch onto if you if you're kind of trying to think, look for some long term value um, out there. So big news on the recruiting trail. Um, you got anything else on Corey Foreman? Bud, or uh, is it time to move to uh, NFL draft?
1: You know, I, I think the ink is almost dry on this conversation. But we, speaking of ink, we really should discuss pretty quickly. Uh, w- when is it appropriate to get a tat, like a large tattoo of the school to which you're committed? I mean, because now Corey Foreman's out there and he's got a pretty good sized Clemson tat on. Uh, that's. D- do you go to get la- laser on that, or do you think, hey, maybe I might recommit to Clemson? So. Uh, like what 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 are your thoughts on on the recruits getting the tattoos for their schools this early in the process? Listen, I've never had the
0: courage to put something permanently on my body, and I've never found something I had enough conviction with to to feel like I needed to 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 permanently put it on my body. Now that I have no biceps to show off, like I'm definitely not going to get one. But I say, if you're into just getting stuff. Put on your body just randomly. Hey, that's a time in your life when you committed to Clemson and you ended up at USC. Hey, you look back on that with pride, buddy, because you were the most highly recruited player in the country. And it's worked out okay for Reuben Foster, the former Auburn commit with a big old Auburn tattoo on his arm that ended up at Alabama as a first-round draft pick.
1: You know what I really want to see, and especially now because we're all so bored, I want to see a kid do an old school, like Bleacher Report style flip video, not a commit video, but a flip video where he basically goes in, they show the before tattoo, and then they show like the tattoo makeover where the guy has tatted over it and he t- somehow he turns, you know, like like a Texas logo into an A&M logo or something like that. And then the reveal is the new tat. Like that would be really badass.
0: I'm with it. That would be great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's uh, that's that's
0: taking us up a, up a notch and maybe this is the guy to do it. Corey Foreman, get it done, man. You're, you're hearing it from Barton and Bud. The tattoo logo is going to reveal your commitment.
1: Could you do the USC with like with like with the Tiger head? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to dig dig deeper into that. Uh, before we get to the draft, we have a little bit of old business talked about. Uh, last week, we got a couple questions about a stat that I referenced that I didn't actually give, and that was Jalen Hurts uh, passing in playoff games uh, before garbage time, and, and Barton and I had a discussion, and I... I think we both agree that that hurts uh, has some chance to be successful in the NFL. I think Barton likes his odds a little better than I do, but he's probably not ready to be a day one guy. We would agree on, but the stat and I'll, Barton's not heard this yet. So in playoff games, non garbage time. So we're going to use the Bill Connolly definition of garbage time, which I think is like if you're down twenty eight in the third quarter. You know, obviously defenses are going to going to play a little bit differently uh, against you. So ninety five attempts. In five playoff games, 44 completions. So we're looking at a 46.3% completion percentage in those games for garbage time. Uh, and a four and a half yards per attempt. So the defenses they faced were the Washington defense, the 2016 Clemson defense in that game in which Clemson won. Uh, the Clemson defense that was pretty damn good, actually. They just they had an offense uh, that, that couldn't score under Kelly Bryant. Uh, Georgia in the national title game before he got yanked, and then last year, LSU. Uh, so, again, 44 of 95 for 4.5 yards per attempt, which I went and looked up. That is a lot under what those defenses allowed against other FBS teams even. So it, it's like, yes, those are great defenses, and they snuff everybody out. But this in this set, it was pretty far under what those defenses averaged allowing anyway. Yeah, so I think,
0: so when, when you f- initially framed it, I was under the impression we were talking about him as basically at Oklahoma. Gotcha. Okay. And granted, look, at Oklahoma, because I'm just looking up his numbers now, against LSU, wasn't a good day. Uh, 48% passing, 217 yards. He did have seven yards per attempt, uh, so a little better than, than the number you threw out.
1: And before garbage time for him, if you want it against LSU, uh, five of 18 for 101.
0: All right. So, and I don't, what is that? I don't know what that five is. Five point, point attempt, three. But, okay. Five so point there, two. Five point three. So that's so that's more in line with what you were saying. But like, if we're talking also, you know, Washington, if you're throwing Washington and Clemson in 2016 in there, and if we're throwing, you know, he didn't do he didn't play a lot against. Georgia, I guess so. Clemson, he had a decent game. Georgia played a half, didn't have a good half um, in twenty seventeen. But like that was still very much part of the evolution of Jalen Hurts as a passer. Like that was, I, I was, I was sitting there in those years talking about and and believing that Jalen Hurts was just not there as a passer, and he still may not be there. But I think he's. I think there's been some evolution in that regard. That has me feeling a little bit more confident in him now again. So so then basically we're getting down to just, you know, he had a bad game against LSU. Is that part of the trend that you're referencing, or is it just a bad game against LSU in a, in a new Jalen Hurts and a new offense? Um, I don't know. Maybe it is part of the trend. But I still get back to the idea that at, at some level, and I, and I don't think he's a first-round pick, so let me be clear about that. But I still feel like there is, depending on where he, where he drops to, I think there's some value there that you can feel confident in Jalen Hurts because you know you're going to get a, a hardworking version of Jalen Hurts. You're going to get a hardworking version of of a college quarterback. You're going to get a versatile version of a college quarterback. So, and I don't know that you are you argued any of that stuff, but I, those are interesting numbers for sure. Um, and you know, I, it's it, it does it definitely makes you think and sort of forces you to, to really stand on your conviction if you do end up taking him
1: for sure. I, I would love for Jalen Hurst to, to be my backup quarterback, right? I, I think he, using him as a changeup in games early in his career, he's, he's a guy who like Alabama loved him, Oklahoma loved him. I mean, just straight out, like they liked that guy, he, he was not a problem at all for them. He works hard. I'd, I'd like him to run my scout team and be my my changeup quarterback early in his career, and you know, maybe he can progress to be a, an NFL passer. Maybe he already is. Like may, Maybe he's improved enough at Oklahoma uh, to to be it earlier than I think. I mean, the, the draft is certainly uh, not a guarantee at all as, as we're about to see here in a little upcoming game we want to play. Yeah, let's go ahead and do this. So... This is something I threw out on Twitter uh, on Monday night. What's today, Tuesday, I think? Yeah, the, the day is kind of run together now uh, w- without really having weekends. So on Monday night I threw it out and I was like, "All right, how many players are you like really confident are going to go in the first round? And if, if you miss one, you lose the game, right? So people had a lot of just crazy responses out there to it. And a lot of people think that they can pick you know, 28 guys and and get 28 out of the 32 picks. And I I don't know. I'm not as confident. So I asked Barton, I said, let's each make a list and we won't show it to each other before the show. And we'll send it to our producer, Tani. And he'll show us who we had on, who we both had on the list of, of our first round locks. Like these are guys we are confident are going to go in the first round. And so we'll kind of just go down and one by one, if we have any little comments, you know, hey, maybe this guy scares me a little bit or like a no doubter. And then we're going to actually take and break down who we had on each other's lists uh, and who we did not have. So clearly, the, the way to win this game, you can't miss any, right? So that's that's the first part. If you miss any, you're out. Uh, but if we both get them all right, the guy who has more locks on his list will win because he got more right without missing any. So I, I think that makes pretty sense or pretty good sense. I, hopefully, I explained that uh, the right way. So you got to go. You got to be perfect and. Obviously, if you're both perfect, the guy who was perfect more times wins. So, uh, you want to read down the, uh, the the list that we we had, or the, the guys who we had on on both of our lists that we're sure are going to be first rounders.
0: Yeah. All right. So, um, let me pull up the the Barton and Bud Slack Room here. All right. Top of the list. This is I guess is alphabetical. It looks like Mikai Becton. Both of us agree with that um I think he's look it's it's a little bit hard to imagine any of the top four offensive linemen not get drafted so that's Mikai Beckton. it's said uh, it's uh Tristan worse Jedrick Wills um and Thomas it, Andrew Thomas now I will say Andrew Thomas I I balked a little bit on only because i to me he is four i could see teams having him one but I, I i don't really see a scenario where the, where the other three don't get drafted i could see scenario in the first round again i could see scenarios where say someone has Ezra Cleveland over Andrew Thomas or Josh Jones over Andrew Thomas or one of these other guys over Andrew even Isaiah Wilson is just look this is who we we, we want the the, the monstrous right tackle uh, because there's just not that many bodies like this guy. Like I could just see some weird things happen there where Andrew Thomas just is a little bit the odd man out based on preference. Um, So he was at one point in a little bit of like my second tier pile. uh, But ultimately I couldn't, I I was not um, ultimately it's like a little bit hard for me to envision a guy who's been a three year starter at tackle in the best conference in college football who's been pretty dominant that whole time doesn't, doesn't get drafted in the first rounds.
1: Did you have any hesitation on any of those four? No. I, so I, I Googled the, the Becton drug test report stuff from, from the combine that came out in the week and like, just looked at a couple of mock drafts and I, I, I don't, I don't see anybody dropping him out of their mock drafts, right? Like some, he's kind of out of the conversation for the top tackle taken right now, probably. And, uh, the dude who nailed uh, the Giants taking De- uh, Daniel Jones way in advance of anybody else, uh, actually, uh, again this year, has called his shot with Jedrick Wills to the Giants at uh, whatever pick the Giants have, uh, and so there's a good chance that Wills is the first tackle off the board now, uh, w- which I think is interesting in and of itself. But no, th- those four tackles, um, I-, I think, are. I think they're pretty much locks, man. Like, yeah, somebody could have Ezra Cleveland over Thomas, but then somebody could also trade up into the first round to get Thomas if they disagree with with, with a Josh Jones or a Cleveland going uh, going higher. And I, I think we're gonna have six or seven offensive linemen in the first round. Between the four that we think, and then some combination of Ezra Cleveland, Josh Jones, Cesar Ruiz, and, and maybe even Isaiah Wilson. Excuse me, Austin Jackson. Right, yeah. So that that's nine I just listed. I think we'll have at least six, maybe seven. Yeah, um, Derek Brown.
0: I think, in in, I assume no hesitation there.
1: No, none. I mean, may, maybe number three to the Lions, even if if they don't want to take Cuda. Certainly, no hesitation with Joe
0: Burrow, uh, C.J. Henderson. We we uh, both agree on that. that's that's a no brainer to me. I mean, there's 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 getting to be like a pretty steady. Buzz. That's there is consideration by some teams that he's the best corner in the draft. Which to me is, you know, that that's that kind of locks him into the first round to me. Especially considering there, there seems to be several teams that that could use a cornerback in this draft.
1: I follow way too many Falcons fans on Twitter. Just I, I think because of the region in which we live, and uh, they're kind of annoyed now that they might not get to take C.J. Henderson because they're worried about Jacksonville, to, like kind of sniping him at nine. And if that happens, uh, then yeah, to, to me, he's he's a lock. There's no way he gets past Atlanta. I I don't think.
0: Justin Herbert, any any small inkling that wanted to leave him off?
1: No, uh, no, because quarterbacks get overdrafted. Because if if you don't have one, you, you you don't have a ticket to the dance, and teams are willing to roll the dice, especially with the new CBA, because it you don't have one of these, uh, like. Uh, who am I talking about? Uh, Sam Bradford type contracts where it just it it torpedoes you in, until until he comes off the books. I mean, you take George, you take Herbert mid round one and he doesn't work out, no big deal. You're, you're you're back draft drafting a QB next year. It doesn't kill your your salary cap anymore. So to me, no nah, man, no no hesitation there. Somebody's gonna fall in love with those tools.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's I it's very clear to me that the NFL views Burrow. Or I'm sorry, views Herbert as a as a first round guy. Uh, enough teams do to where yeah. he's not going to get past the first round. Uh, Jerry, Judy, I assume no hesitation there. No, none. Javon Kinlaw, any hesitation there?
1: Uh, a little bit, but I just look at the defensive tackle board this year, and I don't think this is a great year for defensive tackles. Right? Like, after Brown, he's going to get pushed up because some te- like I think team need is going to push him up a little bit.
0: Yeah, I, I think... I think Ken Law might be uh, on the Cover Three podcast. Uh, my my guy Tom Fernelli made a bold statement that Kinlaw is will be the better pro than Derek Brown, and I don't hate that. It could happen. Yeah, I think Kinlaw m- might be the best defensive tackle in this draft, and i i would I, I would suspect that he is going to go higher than we it's more likely he goes higher than people suspect than he goes lower than people suspect. I, I think I think Kinlaw's is, is is pretty much a lock. Uh CD Lamb locked, Jeff Okuda locked, Henry Ruggs, locked. I guess, right? Do you uh, I
1: I don't think I don't think you run that low and and slip out. Like somebody is going to think you're Tyreek Hill with more toughness and and take you. Yeah. Now if he slips to like 14 or 15 that wouldn't shock me, I guess. But no, I I think that's a lock. Uh,
0: Isaiah Simmons, lock. Tua. Do you,
1: even, do you even think about letting him, leaving uh, there, him off the list? There's no way. Like, like, if Herbert goes round one and Tua does not, I mean, like I, I'm just going to quit the NFL forever. Well, if Tua does not,
0: then it would obviously i mean it obviously be strictly off of of medical. physical of health medical and so if that if the medical was that bad across the league then we would have to be have we would have been getting blatant lies from his doctor basically because right. everything we're hearing from the Tua camp is that he's great like he is better than before he's and look i know there's going to be that positive spin but if we're going from that extreme to he's not a first-round draft pick because of medical, then there's been some serious uh, misdirection by by somebody. So no, I, I'm with you. Like that's that would be shocking if you would drop that low. Um, we talked to Andrew Thomas. We talked to Edrick Wills, Trach Tristan Wolfers, and Chase Young, and that's the last guy. How many is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Was that 16?
1: I think so. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, yeah, six, so, so we have 16 in common.
0: That we both feel confident in. You you have one additional guy that you were willing to throw out, th- throw on the fire. I had three.
1: And you talked me into my guy. In the last podcast, you were actually higher on this guy than I was, I I thought um cuz you're like I, I could see him going ahead of Henry Ruggs if if Ruggs slipped or or, or being the third receiver taken maybe and you convinced me Barton's like I, I think that Jordan Jet not Jordan Justin Jefferson <laughs> belongs in sort of a, a one B tier right as opposed to to all the two guys with, with the Iukes and the, uh Denzel Mims and and whoever else you want to throw in there Jalen Ragers and Shanaults I'm a little shocked he's not on your list here. I I I was I, I'm rolling the dice maybe and, and clearly he's the guy who could bite me bite me in the ass the biggest I think because he's the only guy who I have who who you don't have. Um, but man I so wagering wise I I have under five and a half receivers right taken in the first round at a pretty nice plus number. So there's a good chance I lose that, but I, it, it's a it's a, a number that I'm willing to uh, to roll the dice on. But there's no way in hell that I'd play under five. I I think that we absolutely get at least four receivers in the first round, and probably five. I don't know if we'll get the six. I think Jefferson's going to be one of those five. Pretty clearly, somebody's got to fall in love with him, right? Maybe I'm wrong on this.
0: Go right into my trap, bud. Caught you. <laughs> Shit. Uh, I'm no, I'm I'm joking. Like I I because remember, I mean, this is what we this is what we think or are confident are, is going to happen. So I yes that is the way I view Justin Jefferson and I think if 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 I'm gambling on whether or not he gets drafted in the first round I expect he will but if we're looking at sort of the where I have some uncertainty there like I could see all right so I think the first three I think the first three are going to go now there is I, I like I said I can see someone having Justin Jefferson above maybe Ruggs, dependent eye of the beholder. But assuming those first three go first, then w- my fear of having Justin Jefferson on there was, all right, what if the next team that wants a receiver is just looking for a big body? Like they're just going to go after either T. Higgins or Denzel Mims or, or Pittman, Michael Pittman. Yeah, yeah, or just, you know, wh- wh- what if that's the direction to go? And then, well... What well, you know, what if what if someone just falls in love has just fallen in love with Brandon Ayuk and his toughness and you know is that he's just going to be the next receiver off the board? So it was less about me not having confidence in Jefferson, more about me being a little bit nervous about the competition for that next wide receiver spot. So look, I ex- I think you will probably get that right, but I just think there is a chance that you won't in which case that's a big win for me um yeah if you miss one you're done and look i I, so this is probably i would say this is about where my list ended in terms of the ones we've discussed that i was confident like i said i had a just a minor hesitation with kind of a similar reasoning with andrew thomas uh but other than that everyone we discussed was was pretty much my locks, but then now is my next group is my like you got to, you got to shoot to score, uh, group the miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take group, and I didn't know what your number was going to be at, I didn't want to leave the putt short, I, I I had to just you know, dial in for a couple of these other guys, and so I have two more than you, and three different guys than you, uh, with Jefferson not being on my list, so mine are patrick queen caleb von chasen and honestly maybe the one i'm least confident in is jordan love uh where are you on those three guys how close were you
1: uh so i was actually really pretty close on on all three um
0: the- Is there any buyer's remorse right now are you do you look at the at the list and are you jealous that i put any of those guys on or are you? Yeah,
1: because you had three, you had two more guys than I did. Like I, I, I'd, I'd like to have just one more opportunities. I have two more opportunities to get it to get it wrong, though. That's that's true. Um, yeah, that's that's certainly true. I so with 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 me, I basically thought about it and I said, okay, everybody that I take here, I want to be confident they go in the top twenty. Right. Like if I'm thinking in my head, this is probably a guy, and that like, you know, if I think he goes twenty fifth. Then reasonably, he could probably go anywhere from like, I don't know, fourteen to thirty-four. You know, if, if we think about it. And if you go thirty-four, you're out of the first round. You know, there's only thirty-two picks. So all of, all the guys I picked, I'm really pretty confident are going to go in the top twenty. Now I may I may be a, a, a total dummy on this. We come back next week and be like, wow, we only got thirteen of these right, even though our list seems kind of short. And that's that's possible with Patrick Queen. My worry is that, I, I don't know, he only started for one year at LSU, right? So there's a little bit of, of track record stuff there. Um, some teams might like Murray over him, but I yeah, if I had to just say yes or no, will the guy go first round? Yes. Patrick Queen, I think, is going to be a first rounder. With Jordan Love, yes, I think he's going to be a first rounder. But I also thought Drew Locke was probably going to be a first rounder and be pushed up because of the whole quarterback scarcity stuff in the league and drew Locke went i think in the 40s last year to whomever took him denver i think it is um and then with with chase on i there's a lot of like second tier pass rushers this year to where there, there's clearly some some a1 pass rusher types and i think he has the ability to be like just as good as as a chase young perhaps but I don't know that he stands out enough for me among the, the second tier guys to where I'm just, I wasn't comfortable locking him up, you know? But these are, are three guys who were right on my list. The other two that I had to cut, because I, I had year three, um, AJ Terrell from Clemson, who I think is pretty good shot of being the number three corner taken in the draft. And then, because Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network tweeted it, uh, He said Austin Jackson's going to go a lot higher than people think. And he thinks Austin Jackson could go in the top 15. So those were sort of the guys who I was like, all right. And then, you know, McKinney, not confident enough. Murray, not confident enough. Gross Matos, definitely not confident enough. I mean, I think he's probably a very late first. Ruiz, not confident enough. But your three and then those other two were were kind of the five that I had to cut. Because I I did have five more. Then I was like, this is too many. I I, got to cut this down.
0: Yeah, Chasen is is he was one of these that I I like him too much. Like I think he's too good to leave him off. You know, like I could see teams passing on him, but I, I just it's hard for me to, to 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 leave a guy like that who I'm I think is so good on there. And Patrick Queen just seems like this modern hot commodity at the linebacker position that everyone's falling in love with right now, though you're right in the sense Kenneth Murray is is has some similarities. Jordan Love, look, if he doesn't get picked, someone else will. So if, if Jordan Love gets out of the second round or out of the first round, that means that Fromm or Eason or Hertz or someone got picked up there at one. And I like my chances with Love over the field there. Uh, I, I will say, on the, on the flip side, like it seems like every mock I see has Gross Grossmatos in there. And I don't see Gross Grossmatos as a first-round pick. Uh, I could be – I mean – Obviously, I could be wrong. I haven't dug into the film as much as, you know, the draft Knicks, I guess. But I was tempted to, put it. but most places, like to your point, Bud, there I see him. He's like in the twenty-five to thirty-two range. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna roll that dice. Um, and I, I have similar I have similar thoughts on AJ Terrell uh, with with Jamar Chase just totally taking his lunch money (laughs) national championship game like like i can't just on principle i can't i can't be like betting money on him being a first round draft pick someone could take him and he's a good player but uh jamar chase is is drinking his milk right now and that that's that's still pretty pretty uh prevalent in my mind
1: did you uh did you ever think about taking austin jackson or uh or, or caesar No, because
0: that's like Caesar seems too much like, I mean, who's like, how many, what is there? there, How many teams are are thinking about taking Caesar reviews right now?
1: Right. Probably not many.
0: I don't know. Maybe like there's six or something. Like I just don't like those, those odds, uh, age, uh, Austin. I hope he gets drafted first round. I had him as a five star. We were higher than most. I love the dude, but I, but you know, this, all this sort of stock rising stuff. Is basically the extent of my confidence in, in Austin Jackson getting drafted mm-hmm. first round. I think if you turn on the tape, like it's not obvious that he's a first rounder. And I even wrote about him in this my story today for uh, for 24-7. I wrote about sort of some value picks based on where their perceived um, value is at now. Like so, some guys that you could potentially get in good spots that are good players relative to where people perceive them. And I had Austin Jackson as one of those guys because he's only 20 years old. He's he's uh, a, a, an elite athlete who's maturing. He's a high character human being like all these elements that make you think he's really really good player, uh, basketball player, shot putter in high school, like all that stuff that, that we love to see. But ultimately, there's you know, if, if we're if we're putting our money on first round guys, you, you want to see the production and, and Austin Jackson feels like he's still warming up
1: from a on field standpoint. So We're going to take a short break here, and when we come back, I actually dug up uh, some numbers on the top mock draft last year and how many first-round picks they actually got right. Again, this is a, a mock draft that was scored out of more than 40 mock drafts out there, so stick with us, and when we come back, we will discuss how we think our picks might line up against that. All right, dude, we're back. So I've got this list here, and I went to uh, fantasypros.com, and they evaluate the mock drafts, uh, right? And they basically score it on a bunch of different categories, but the most important category is accuracy. And you get some bonus points if you nail the the player to the exact right team, but they mainly want to say, like, how many spots were you off? So, you know, if you are if you said a guy was going to go fifth overall and he went 12th, you're seven spots off. That's, that's not that bad on average. Uh, so Charlie Campbell of... Uh, WalterFootball.com had the top mock draft, and he had 24 out of his 32 picks right. That is the best, best mock draft out there, 24 out of 32. That means he still had eight guys he thought were going to go in the first round wrong. Like that, that shows how tough this is to do. So here are the ones who he had in uh, who did not go in the first round.
0: And hey, so by the way, like this to so the best mock draft, the best mock draft days before the NFL draft.
1: Yeah, it was literally I think day of.
0: Day of the NFL draft had 24 of the 32 potential first round picks. We pick 32 five stars a year. So stop giving us hell when a five star doesn't go number 1 and stop telling us that we're not allowed to celebrate when a five star does go first round this stuff is hard and i think when you're when you're only hitting t- what what is that uh 75% yeah if you're only hitting 75% day of the draft then w- we're doing pretty good 5 years out
1: y- your mailman was probably a two star all right so so he had a uh, he had an fcs corner uh who he thought was going to go uh 20th the guy the guy ended up going uh, I think 33rd. Uh, he had uh, somebody named, I can't read my own handwriting here, going 22nd. The guy went 44th. So there, there's a, a miss of 22 picks there. Uh, he had Ford going 23. The guy went 38th. He had Taylor going 28th. He went 35. He had Adderley going 29th. The guy went 60th. He had Juan Thornhill going 30th. The dude went 63rd. He had McCoy, the AM center, going 31st and he ended up 48th. And he had Paris Campbell going 32nd. And he went 59th. Now, on the flip side, here's the dudes he missed, and he actually did a seven round mock draft. So, this guy is a guy who's pretty into mock drafting, right? Uh, he had uh, Nikhil Harry going uh, 33rd, and he went 32nd. So, pretty you know, pretty damn good there. Yeah, uh, he had uh, Caleb McGarry, the Washington tackle, going 76th, and he went 31st. So. I don't think Barton and I even thought about ranking 76 guys for a potential exercise here at at all. Uh, he had some other dude, Baker. Oh, DeAndre Baker going 49th. He ended up going 30th to the Giants. He had Collier going 58th, and he ends up 29th. So, I mean, missing by 29 spots there. Again, this is the best mock draft out there. Uh, he had Jerry Tillery, 45th. The dude went 28th. He had Titus Howard, 82nd. And Titus Howard went 23rd. Uh, he had Savale. 43rd. The guy went 21st. And check this. He did not have the guy who went 14th overall in his first round. I mean, that that like we think, okay, top 14 picks. We're going to nail all of these. And this is the best mock draft out there. Lindstrom, the Boston college offensive lineman. He had him 44th. He, he gets pushed up to fourteen. This is a day of draft mock draft, the best one out there. So this stuff is hard, like really hard. Uh, I threw this out on Twitter. How many players do you think you would need to list if you were trying to come up with a list of everybody who had even a chance going in the first round? Like if I said, Barton, you get 60 picks. You think you can nail all 32? I, I don't know that I could after after seeing that.
0: I don't know. I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's such a guess. And I, I think that's the way it, it It should be – like we shouldn't be able to predict the 32 picks because otherwise it's just groupthink. Otherwise it's just everyone has convinced each other that these are – because, I mean, history has shown us that the first 32 players drafted aren't always the best players in the league. And so, I I mean – if you're a decent GM, like you should be willing to take some risks. And it's why, and, and I think it's something that we've tried to incorporate into our rankings process of 24 7 sports too is the idea that, look, occasionally, like last year we had Peter Skaronsky, a five star. He's an offensive lineman who signed with Northwestern. No one else has him anywhere close to that. And frankly, we had him a five star or close to it for most of the process. And I think that his presence there, us inviting him to the All American Bowl, is the only reason that he was even like ranked anywhere close to us by other sites. And that's not a, me pounding my chest. That's just the sort of the he we, we put him more into other people's consciousness. We, we us having us a five star made other people put them a little bit to the test and saying look that you're you're taking a stand now if you're going to say he's not at least a four-star guy and so there's a little bit of that in the industry as well and so i think i think taking stands like that help our rankings process and and in in a way help the entire industry because part of the reason that we're seeing this is going to be probably the best draft maybe ever in terms of the recruiting rankings and and how we did and and getting highly rated guys uh, projecting them to get drafted high, uh, I think part of that is those guys get bubbled up by us, get you know found or not found, but but taken as as signees and commits by big name programs, and they you know if 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 we saw Chad Lindstrom early enough in the process and made him a top 100 kid and believed in him you know, either he, he's either going to have a bunch of other offers that other sites are then going to sort of latch onto, or he's going to have, uh, make it tougher on Boston college to keep them. Um, you know, he's not going to, he's just not going to be an under the radar guy that then everyone's surprised at when he's good. And so, yeah. uh, an element of that is just sort of baked into our process right now to where, Hey, some guys may end up as high profile players that are only high profile players at the end of the process, because, we were willing to get make a stand on them early in the process. That's a little bit of a tangent. Sorry, I get on these it's good though these rankings rolls sometimes, but it's it it you know it's fun to talk.
1: You're not passionate about about the rankings, right? Like like that that's that, that's not a that's not a pet project of yours that you obsess about. Yeah, no, it's, no. A
0: little, it's a little something I do on the side. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, so you wrote about the undervalued five stars. Uh, we we chat about it a little bit. You want to you want to talk about that anymore? or You want to jump into uh, maybe the, the piece you have coming out for CBS?
0: Yeah, I can talk about the CBS piece. Um, so I I was asked by CBS to to basically do the the whole basically who do we who did the industry miss on that are about to be first round draft picks, which is asked every year, and in most cases it's two stars, it's unranked guys. And I think later on this week, Bud, you, you're probably going to hit on a few of those guys. That's but the beauty of this cycle is none if if any like maybe just just a couple at best are going to be first round candidates so that's sort of a win for the industry but there are still some three stars and so i kind of dug into how we might have missed on some of these three star prospects some were excusable misses some were inexcusable i'll i'll, I'll go through a couple of the highlights here like Mackay beckton first of all high three star kid we it's a miss but it's important to remember there are degrees of three star. This kid was a sort of a top 400-ish player that was on the cusp of four star status. So we, you know, we believed in him. We just you got to draw the line somewhere. Um, that was generally a, a miss. Josh Jones went to Houston, but was graded out a mid three star guy, a power five level prospect, um, viewed as a high upside guy. Kid just happened to hit his upside.
1: And he went to Houston, and, and, and we still had him had him rated highly. So for everybody's like, oh, hey, if, if the kid goes to a G5 school, they won't rate him highly. No, that's not true. We would be morons to ignore the data that we get, which is college offers, right? Like, if Nick Saban offers a kid, we're not going to make him a five-star for that reason. But if you don't take a, a pretty close look at a, at a guy who all of a sudden, a defensive back who just got Kirby and Nick offers in the Southeast out of nowhere – you're not doing your job,
0: right? And it's important to, to to sort of articulate too that it's not just the offer that and the check mark on their profile, but it's it's us digging and understanding where he is on their board and how they view him, and then making sure that we uh, understand how that factors into the to our evaluation. Not that it factors into our evaluation, but it might lead us to make sure we double down on that film and and feel confident where we have them.
1: That's something we did a lot in the last rankings meeting. In fact, we said, "Hey, like I I talked to this school and they told me that." They like him, but he is a camp offer kid. So if he wants to try to commit to them right now, they would not accept the commitment. And that, that's important to know, like you said, you know, because some of these schools that offer four hundred kids, they, they really can't accept all four hundred players. There's a math issue there. So it is important to kind of understand, uh, you know, a, a consensus being built around a player based on inputs from multiple schools.
0: So the last few here are, I think, are all interesting case studies. Justin Herbert was a high three-star kid whose only offers were Oregon, Montana state, Northern Arizona and Portland state. He was, he's from Eugene. Didn't get an Oregon offer until his senior season and, and was given a high three-star grade. No one ever saw him at a camp. He didn't get out on the, on the circuits. Didn't have a, a college feedback from anyone else. And I'm not even sure Oregon offered him with the expectation that he was a future NFL guy, but it, but clearly, they gained confidence in him as a kid in their backyard. They went on him and offered him. That's it's you know we could we have rolled the dice, thrown a four-star grade on Justin Herberts based on highlight film. I guess yeah, we could have. Could we have flown someone out to Eugene, and taken in a game for the kid that Oregon offered in mid-October? Yeah, I guess we could have done that too, and 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 factored that into our evaluation. But neither of those things happened he was a high three-star kid that we felt like had looked like had talent based on holiday film, but just there wasn't a whole lot else to go on. And so he turned out he was a really good player, was developed, and hit a really high, high ceiling. So, um, you know, hey, that's one we would have liked to have gotten, but I'm not necessarily embarrassed about the way that played out for, for the rankings industry.
1: Uh, by the way, speaking of Beckton. Uh, Ivan's and I, I think we may have found a kid who is sort of in looking and doesn't have a lot of big offers yet. So tomorrow's rankings meeting, we're uh, get excited. Yeah, no, it's I like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I I usually write an article about the uh, two stars and unrated players uh, who go in the first round, and, and there are usually a couple, right? And it's something I've done for a, a number of years now, and it's something I track because to me. I don't consider a three-star going in the first round as that big of a miss for the recruiting industry, and and I that's a standard that I made up before I was in the rankings part of the recruiting industry. If you look at the numbers, you look at the total number of high school football players out there, you look at the total number of players who uh, are going to sign to play scholarship football, so whether that's FBS or you know scholarship FCS. They, they get fewer scholarships, but it is still you know getting paid to do it. Uh, three stars to me and not to me but just mathematically, they still represent a very small number of the the total kids who are going to go play scholarship football at some level that the majority of them are going to be still two star and unrated prospects and it doesn't mean that we never looked at them it just means like they're really they didn't do anything stand out enough to to warrant for the most part uh, getting a rating and, and I usually have these buckets that I put kids in as to why, they were either a 2-star or an unrated player cuz i do consider that just on its face like a miss for the recruiting industry if this kid goes first round and we had him as an unrated or 2-star that i really want to know why you know a 3-star that doesn't bother me as much as it might bother barton if it does so i have all the all these different buckets and you know one is a uh, player gained like 20% of his body weight in college but kept the same level of athleticism i mean that's something we see I think we discussed last episode, like with a Zach, you know Zach Bond, who was a three-star, but he went from like 200 to 235 ish uh, in in college and kept the same level of athleticism. And he was a quarterback in high school, so that's another one. Did you have a a significant position change? I don't mean just going safety to linebacker, but like if you went like safety to defensive end, that that's a pretty big one. That us as recruiting industry people. If I went into tomorrow's recruiting ranking meeting and said, hey, Barton, I'm going to project this kid to add 60 pounds and go from a safety to a a strong side defensive end, he'd probably be like, hey, we're going to remove Bud from the Zoom call going forward because this is just nonsense. But this happens occasionally. And so I'm okay if as a recruiting industry we miss miss on a kid because he went Titus Howard on us and he put on 70 pounds, which is what Titus Howard did going from quarterback to offensive tackle. This year, though, I've looked at this the list of kids who I think are locks and the list of kids who I think are players, not kids anymore, who I think have a legitimate chance to go round one. The only guy I really see who was an unrated player was, was Brandon Ayuk, And that was a purely a grades thing. Nobody offered him because they knew he was going to have to go junior college. At least from, from what I've been able to read, I I don't really remember him as a recruit out of high school. And we had a good grade on him coming out of Juco.
0: So another one that's in that vein we catch a lot of heat for Justin Jefferson's ranking. I think he was a two-star in the composite. He was actually a three-star by us at 24-7. Uh, but Justin Jefferson was assumed to be going Juco so much so that he he didn't commit to LSU until August of preseason camp, the year he was enrolling. So he committed and enrolled because he finally got qualified.
1: Oh, he was three-star composite.
0: Okay, so he made three-star composite, but either way, he it was a it was a perfect example of him just not being evaluated because there was an assumption there he wasn't going to be a uh, a an FBS recruit, and so we would just then evaluate him as a junior college recruit when the time came. Uh, again, right before, right as spring camp, uh, preseason camp was getting going. LSU managed to get him eligible or get get him qualified, and he enrolls, and so we're stuck there. With with a three star grade on a guy that's a really good player, so you know that's an example of one. Like we we started to to address that in a way and just making sure. Look, if a kid's good, we think he's going JUCO, rank him like we think he is. Don't put him in the two four seven, but get a four star grade on if we believe he's that level of player because you never know what kind of miracles are going to happen. So you know, Justin Jefferson, I can live with that on our end from an evaluation standpoint. Like like I said, I think Justin Herbert, I can live with that from an evaluation standpoint. There's only so much we could do. Jordan Love is an example of like if, if you saw Jordan Love in high school and said that guy's going to be a first round draft pick, then you, sir, are a wizard <laughs> or a genie or something that has supernatural powers. Because, look, talk to Greg Biggins and Brandon Huffman and those guys that see everybody out west. They, they remember seeing Jordan Love multiple times and him just not being very good. Now, that's not to say you can't be a coach. And see Jordan Love and be like, man, that kid's got some tools. And if we develop him and and get some weight on him and clean things up a little bit, this kid could be pretty special. But I think that same person would also acknowledge, like, this guy might get on campus and never do anything. Jordan Love went the went the 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 former way. Like that's a credit to Matt Wells at Utah State and those guys and getting him developed. So again, that's another one that I can live with. The the two that I can't live with. That are potential first-round draft picks. Yeah, who,
1: who bothers you? I I, I want to know this.
0: The two that I can't live with are, and there's really only two, because Jonathan Taylor could go one, but we actually had him as a four-star on 24-7 sports. He was a composite three. I've addressed the other guys. I mean, Mikai Beckman, yes. like we sh- I would have liked to have had him as a four. So I, I'd i throw him in this mix, too. There's probably three potential first-rounders, uh, at least that I'd sort of analyzed, that uh, might keep me up at night a little bit. One's Kenneth Murray. So Becton, the other one's Kenneth Murray, who had offers, he had testing numbers that suggested he was a really good athlete. He had good film. He had production as as a player. I don't know why. Like I would have to. I don't know why we had him as a three star because other people had him as a four. So that's one that's just a pure miss by us. It happens. Like sometimes we're gonna miss on somebody. Kenneth Murray, for whatever reason, we didn't get a good eval on Kenneth Murray. The other one, and you mentioned him, bud, is Zach Bond. Because Zach Bond, yes, he underwent a physical transformation of gaining 30 plus pounds. He was a high school quarterback that transitioned to linebacker. Like that's a little bit hard to predict is gonna happen. That said, I think we are equipped right now in the way we view players as as prospects to get Zach Bond right. And I hope we will in the future because he was, yes, he played quarterback, but he's also like the one of the most productive players in the state of Wisconsin. He was a 21-5 200 meter guy at, I don't know what he was weighing, probably 200 plus pounds. 201.
1: Yeah.
0: So multiple sport athletes, fantastic track numbers, elite as an athlete playing quarterback. I would hope that if that guy pops up to us this cycle again, in, in, uh, in different clothing, in different pads, in different uniform, in a different state, we'll, we'll sniff that out, and 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 maybe not make him a five star, because that's that, that's a, a bridge too far probably to make that sort of a projection, but at least throw a four star grade on him so that on draft day we can we can pound our chest and say we knew that there was something there.
1: And I I want to ask you this. So I, I've read some profiles of of Zach Bond, and we're gonna wrap it up after this because we're already basically at an hour did Wisconsin recruit him as a QB? Because I, I think if we had word from our Wisconsin people that, hey, they project this kid to to switch to defense and, and to play linebacker, then we're going to look at him as a slightly different way, right? Like, like that allows us to focus in even more. If, if we're getting word that Wisconsin is recruiting this kid as a QB, then our, basically not prediction, but our assumption is that he's not going to be lifting weights quite like a linebacker would, right? He may not bulk up and and train to play like it a, like a, an impact defensive position so I I'm curious I, I don't remember his recruitment and I'm not going to just make it up here on the fly
0: yeah no it's a good question so because Alan True who is our 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 Midwest guru does remember his recruitment and I, I was talking to him a little bit about it this week or he was he was reminiscing on Zach Bond's recruitment and so this is the only thing that I will allow us to sort of uh, the ex- only excuse that I will allow for us is that Wisconsin was even a little bit late on on actually making a move for him. In fact, it sounds like they wanted him as a preferred walk on initially, maybe a gray shirt, and eventually they took him in their class as an athlete. He was because as a quarterback, I say he was productive. It, it was a it was a dual threat productivity. Right. Like he was an athlete at quarterback, and I think that was clear. Um, but it's a little bit hard for us to be able to identify every good player in every remote state that has only FCS offers. Because aside from that Wisconsin <laughs> offer, I think Zach bonds only other offer was North Dakota state. So yes, like theoretically we could have found him even with a North Dakota state offer. And someday we're going to have a North Dakota state or a South Dakota state or a North Dakota kid. That's a four star. I'm determined to, to, to find one because those guys produce NFL players too. Uh, but had we ranked Zach Bond a four star prior to his commitment to Wisconsin, that would have been pretty unprecedented. We would have been ranking a kid with one FCS offer that we knew of as a future NFL player. It happens. I, I hope we have the conviction and the expertise to to identify that guy at some point, but that's a that is not an easy ask.
1: The the common element there between both Bond and and Herbert were that nobody recognized them essentially until their senior years, and the only school that did was the school uh, in, in, in whose backyard the player played.
0: Right, and that's a tough, and that's a tough bridge to, 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 to gap as well, because. And even when you're talking about, like, when I talk to co- college coaches, and i like, I might even send them a kid and be like, "Hey, this kid's really good out of uh, Ohio," and they're like, "Well, I had an Ohio State offered him." Yep. Like, man, I don't know. Like, you like. If the Ohio State offers it, they're gonna get them. So like, <laughs> what, why do you
1: care? But the, the right questionnaire is why didn't Kentucky offer him?
0: Right, right. So like, but that's that is something that coaches look at. Like if they're if a kid's sitting there and the profile for that kid on their desk says middle of Wisconsin, um, North Dakota State offer, the coach is either gonna say Why hasn't Wisconsin offered him? Or he's going to say, "Man, I don't know. Like, is it worth my time to even recruit this kid? Because if I offer him, all Wisconsin has to do is offer him, and then he's going to, you know, I got no chance." And so, that is the type of of issue that we have to uh, navigate, not in making an evaluation, but in but in finding these guys and getting them to our like bubbled into our consciousness, so that we they actually are put in front of us and and we're because ultimately look we're our our job is to evaluate and grade the players that are being recruited like our job is not our job is not a a scouting service in the sense that it's a discovery process there's an element of that but that is not our goal to discover a bunch of new no-name guys our goal is to cover from a media perspective the top recruits in college football and identify who those guys are
1: well said this is the Barton and Bud Show. Uh, we just passed 155-star reviews on iTunes. Let, let's let's go ahead and get us up to uh, 247 uh, quickly. If, if we do, I think we will do a special uh, listener-only mailbag edition, maybe, uh, of the show to kind of celebrate that milestone coming up. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to us, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, whatever you want to, uh, to use there. Or not iTunes. I'm supposed to say Apple Podcasts now. So please use Apple Podcasts. Uh, majority so you know whatever anyway hit us with those five star reviews we'll be back to talk to y'all next week
0: Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS,
1: Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy.